along with you this morning. We're going to look at the very end of Ruth chapter 2 this morning as we move on forward in our our story. And just to kind of set the stage a little bit, to put a picture in your mind, just to, you know, you can imagine um, this scene if it were in modern days taking place um, in the kitchen, around the kitchen table. Um, it's late in the afternoon and um, Naomi, the, the mother-in-law, is sitting there nursing a a cup of coffee, waiting anxiously for the daughter-in-law, Ruth, to to get home so she can find out all of the details. And you can probably imagine Naomi wondering, has has Ruth found favor? Where is she gleaning? Is she going to bring anything home? Is there going to be enough for dinner? And we're going to see for the first time in the story that this lady, Naomi, who professes don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, call me bitter, all of a sudden hope starts to wake up and the scene starts to change. And just in this moment, Naomi begins to recognize that God is actually for her and that things are moving in her direction. So let's read. We're going to start reading in verse 17 through the the end of the chapter. And it says, so she, Ruth, gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she took her, told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of yours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning as we continue on in this study through the book of Ruth that we have the opportunity to look at the hope that is brought through the redemption that you provide in your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we gather today hopeful, um, hopeful that things will one day be better, hopeful that there is a future for us, that there is an eternity waiting for us, that there is fellowship with you, that there are all the joys and benefits and the blessings of heaven. And this morning in the minutes that we have, I pray that you would teach us, you would encourage us, and you would strengthen us by your word and by your spirit. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Main idea, I want you to think about throughout the morning, is that the promise of redemption brings hope. The promise of redemption brings hope. We'll see that it's true in the story of Ruth and Naomi, and we're also going to see that it's true in our own lives and in the lives of all those in the world, that the promise that there is a Redeemer, that there is a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, brings hope. Hope now in the present and also hope for the future. 
And so as we look at this story, we, we know that from last week, Ruth went out gleaning and she found the field of, of Boaz and Boaz found her and we found out she found favor in the side of, of Boaz. And so she was gleaning and she was not just gleaning in a, in a regular field, she was gleaning in this field of grace. So in verse 17 and 18, I've just titled that, she's gleaned in, in grace. Now she's been out very active and and she went out looking for for grain and for favor and she finds both and she works hard for the through the day and with the help of Boaz and his servant her obedience and her faith the Lord multiplies it into supernatural results I almost think about the loaves and the fishes you know the the boys gives up his lunch and the Lord blesses it and it turns it into much and and this woman Ruth in one day gleans this ephah of barley about the equivalent you know container size of a five gallon bucket about 30 to 50 pounds of grain and we see that ruth is enjoying the favor of the lord and favor with boaz because boaz is allowing her to glean in the field he's providing protection for and he's even taken steps to make the gleaning process easier he allows her kind of a head start in the gleaning, not until the end of the day, but it actually allows her to go and gather right along behind the reapers. And then he even tells the reapers, hey guys, let's do something extra. When you're gathering up your bundles that you've worked hard with, take some out of your bundles and just kind of cast them around and, and leave a little extra. And so this man Boaz has a special interest in Ruth and the Lord is showing his loving kindness to Ruth and ultimately to Naomi through this man, Boaz. And so she's out there gleaning in grace. Now we look at that quickly because really the focus of what we need to talk about today is in verses 19 and 20. And I've titled that the Lord's kindness. And so we have Ruth returning home at the end of the day and Naomi being the good mother-in-law asks her questions. And then before she can even get an answer to the question, she, she just calls out a blessing, but she asks these two questions. Where did you glean and where have you worked? Now, the root of the question wasn't geography. You know, tell me where you went today. You know, what street? But she wanted to know more about genealogy. She wanted to know whose, whose field it was. Who did it belong to? And before she can even get an answer out, she's like, blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she asks the question and then she offers this blessing and we find this woman who said, call me bitter, all of a sudden offering up a blessing. And I really believe what is happening is there's a, there's a glimmer, there's a spark of hope in her. And she prays and blesses this man that she doesn't even know at this point because he knows that someone has shown Ruth favor and offered her this kindness. Now Ruth answers and her answer is very exciting to Naomi. The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. That's the man that, that blessed me. That's the man that owned the field that showed me favor. And you can almost imagine this, this woman, Naomi, in her mind thinking, Boaz? Did she say Boaz? Maybe there is hope after all. Maybe the Lord hasn't forgotten. And then she's like, she said Boaz. She's talking about Boaz and she responds in verse 20. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And then Naomi also said to her this. The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And she offers this second blessing. And it's hard to tell from reading the verse. Is she talking about blessings to Boaz or blessings to the Lord? It's kind of ambiguous, but I think it's definitely left 
ambiguous because the author is intending us to see that it's both. That the Lord has brought blessing to these ladies through this man Boaz. And so Naomi pronounces a blessing to Boaz and also to the Lord for remembering them. She remembers the Lord's loving kindness and that God has used the man Boaz as his instrument to bless them. And in her mind, this man Boaz offers hope. And this hope is redemption. Because listen to what she says. This man is a close relative of ours. One of our redeemers. This is the dramatic high point of of the story. It's where the, the theme is revealed. This idea of the kinsman redeemer. In the book of Ruth, in the short four chapters, the word redeem or redeemer, that Hebrew word goel is mentioned 23 times. And Naomi says there's this close relative who could redeem both our property and us. Now this goel, this redeemer, what did they do? Well, a redeemer obviously redeems and they would redeem or buy back a fellow family member that may have been sold into slavery. You can read about that in Leviticus 25. They could buy back land that was sold under economic hardship, mortgage property that was have to, that would be offered up to pay a debt. That again is in Leviticus 25. Or they would redeem a family name by means of something called leveret marriage. And that's also, it's all in, that's in Deuteronomy 25. Now that word leveret marriage is important because It's a process that took place where it's brought from the word lever, which means brother-in-law. And basically what happened is when an Israelite man died, his surviving brother was required by the law to marry the widow. Now, the purpose of that marriage was to continue on the family line. So the hope was that they would marry and that this brother would continue his brother's family name through a son through a male child. So they would marry, they would have children, hopefully have a son and preserve the family name. And that was leveret marriage. Now the qualifications of a redeemer, first of all, they had to be related. There had to be a kinship. They had to be a blood relative. And we find that true for, for Boaz. Boaz was from the, the clan of Elimelech, so he was qualified and as a blood relative to be a redeemer, he, they had to have the ability, the means. And we know from what we've read that Boaz was a man of, of means. He was a worthy man. They had to possess the resources that were necessary. They had to have the money in the bank to buy back the property. And then they had to be willing. So they had to be able and willing. Willing to pay that purchase price for the land and then willing to take on Another as their wife. And so in Ruth, we find that Boaz is this kinsman redeemer that is a picture of God's faithfulness. It points to God's plan of salvation. And when we read through this book, when we look at Boaz, we see Jesus. It's a picture, it's a type, it's a a foreshadowing of Jesus that comes because ultimately Jesus is the great kinsman redeemer. And think about how glorious it is that he meets all these qualifications. He's a, a blood relative. He has the ability. He possesses all the resources of heaven that are, are necessary. 
He lived a sinless, perfect life and he's willing to pay the purchase price. He's willing to give his life for ours. And then he's willing to join us to himself beautifully that we are the bride and he is the bridegroom and that he paid the price for our sin. Scripture tells us that we're ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That was the payment necessary and that bought our redemption from sin and from death. And when you look through all of the pages of the Bible, the most beautiful description, the most beautiful expression of God's loving kindness toward you and toward me is through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, laying down his life for you and I so that we could be redeemed. Now, in our story Boaz is identified as this redeemer, but for in, in order for him to fulfill that role, it would take a decision on his part. He would have to buy back the property. He would have to marry Ruth to fulfill this role of kinsman redeemer. And so as far as we know in the story, if we haven't read along, we know that he's able, but we don't know if he's willing. But we do know that Naomi is hopeful. Because she's speaking positively. She uses this word blessed. She acknowledges that the Lord is kind. She recognizes the truth that there is a redeemer. You see, because the promise, the assurance, the certainty of redemption brings hope. And that hope changes our attitude. It's the the mindset that there's something better in store. That what we're in now is not going to last forever. And that even though it doesn't feel that way, the Lord has not stopped showing kindness toward you and toward me. And that God that blesses, blesses us so that we can be a blessing to other. Now this idea that that this hope is available because of God's loving kindness is tied to something else that's very important. It's the goodness of, of God. In Psalm 119, the psalm writer writes this sentence, You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. It's a profession of the goodness of the Lord. Lord, you're good and what you do is good. Another way of saying it, the Lord is good and everything that he does is good. You start reading the book of Genesis, you read the account of creation, and as he goes through each day and he says what he creates, he says it is it is good. And when God shows his loving kindness it's an expression of his goodness and when god shows mercy toward us it's a it's part of his goodness because everything that god does is good it's for our good and because of god's goodness we can say like naomi it's good and that's the verses 21 through 23 i just titled those it is It is good. It's an expression of faith, an expression of trust that in the midst of uncomfortable circumstances that we can recognize the goodness of the Lord and the goodness of his plan. Read a story this week. um, It was a, a songwriter explaining the, the idea behind a song he had written and the song, um, is you're always good and it's written um, by a man named Andrew Peterson and it's an expression of um, 
written from the it's it's written from the perspective of Jesus being crucified, Jesus being dead on the cross, and those that are there, those that are following, even though they don't understand the plan completely, expressing that God has a good plan in that. And he wrote um, in response to that how he got to that the words of that song is that he was visiting um, a friend of his that was grieving, and his friend was grieving the the this sudden painful loss of his spouse and the man was weeping and he was grieving and his cry out to God and to all that were there his testimony was you're always good you're always good he didn't understand the circumstances he didn't like it but he just said God you're always good so there's got to be something good in this for me And Naomi, who I really think believed all along, even though her attitude was a little bit sour, she was bitter. She believed that God had something good in this for her. And so in verse 21, she says, she gives some advice to Ruth. She says, you should keep close. Well, no, actually, this is what happens. Ruth says, let me tell you what Boaz tells me. Boaz gives me some advice. He says, you know, Naomi, you should keep close to the young men until they finish their harvest he's still looking out for you should stay close to them because you're going to find a lot of grain there and we find in that verse that they're my young men they belong to boaz and it's boaz's harvest it's my harvest and so boaz is pointing ruth in the direction where she will continue to find the provision and protection the favor and that word stay close is to stick to them like glue because it's for your protection and, and go ahead and glean as much as you like enjoy the provision and so Naomi agrees with this this practical advice from Boaz and and she declares it is good my daughter the new living translation I believe translates it this is wonderful this is a good plan. You should, you should do this. Boaz is a good man. Boaz has a good plan. He's a close relative. He may be our redeemer. So Ruth, whatever he does, you stay close to him because I think there's something in this for us. And then she adds her little advice. Go out with the young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So looking, protecting as a mother-in-law, stay with those other young women because, you know, there's safety in numbers and don't go wandering into a, another field because you don't want to be exalted. And besides, this Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. You've got it good here. Stay here. Stick close to Boaz. Enjoy his provision and protection. I think practically speaking for us, an application we could draw is it reminds us of the need that we have to, to stick close or to remain close to, to Jesus. To keep daily connection with him. Matthew Henry in his commentary says, Our blessed Savior is our Redeemer. It is he that has a right to redeem. And if we expect to receive benefit from him, let us closely adhere to him. Or stay close to him. Stay close to him, to his fields, and his family. I think another thing is it shows us that that God guides us in life through his word through the influence of other people and by his spirit. And all the while he's working those things for, for our good. But we have to understand that God's way is a good way, even when we don't see that it's good or even that we don't feel any good in it. And that's where it gets 
difficult and, and challenging that, that how could this way that God has possibly be good when I don't feel good, I don't think it's good, and I can't see any good in it. It's faith. It's trusting on the promises of God. It's finding assurance in the scriptures and then standing firm in the fact that, like James says, that he's the source of all that is good. And like the psalm writer in Psalm 8411 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And so there's a challenge. There's a testing of faith in believing and walking in the, the way of the Lord even when it doesn't look, feel, or sound good for us. Because you can't separate anything that's good from God. If it's good, God's in it. If God's in it, it's good. It's a good way to say that. A.W. Tozer says it this way, that that God is good is taught or implied on every page of the Bible and must be received as an article of faith as strong and as impregnable as the throne of God. The goodness of God is the drive behind all his blessings. He daily bestows upon us. God created us because he felt good in his heart and he redeemed us for the same reason. So if God's in it, it's good. And if it's good, God is in it. And Naomi recognizes God's hand, his goodness in that. She doesn't know what's going to happen. She doesn't know how it's all going to come to an end. But she, without a doubt, does not want to miss it. And she doesn't want Ruth to miss it. And so she says, Ruth, follow Boaz's instructions and stay close to him. And then we come to verse 23. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So this concluding sentence of verse of chapter two gives us some some information and kind of leads us into chapter three. First, it tells us that Ruth keeps on doing what she's doing. She continues to go out and work each day. She's working humbly. She's dedicated in her work and she's out there gleaning. She's submissive and obedient. She listens to Naomi, her mother-in-law. She follows the directions of Boaz. And then she's out there working. She's diligent to do what is necessary. And you notice that she stays through the barley harvest that they're in right now. And then add on time through the end of the wheat harvest. So she stays about seven weeks time in these fields. Almost two months. Faithful to the work that she's doing. Going out and gleaning. And then also faithful to her mother-in-law. Because she lived with her mother-in-law. So she works in the fields during the day. She comes back and stays with Naomi in the evening. And it's a, it's this model, this picture of a faithfulness. She's put her faith in God. She trusts God. Even though the circumstances are unpleasant, even though she's living in the middle of a, a sinful, unrighteous age, this time of the judges, She's dependent, she's clinging to God, she's sticking to God for the favor, and she's motivated by hope. And this hope was in this redeemer, in this man named Boaz. He's able, but will he be willing? You see, this promise, this hope of redemption brings hope. A British 
writer named G.K. Chesterton said it this way. Hope means hoping when things are hopeless. It's only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. Hope means hoping when things are hoping. Or in the, in the description of Abraham who hoped against hope. You see, when there's redemption, there's, there's hope. In the Old Testament, there was hope of this Messiah that was coming, a deliverer. In the gospel, there was hope in the world, words of John the Baptist, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And then hope stepped into history, born in a manger in Bethlehem, walking along the Judean countryside, proclaiming the goodness of the kingdom. That's why in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy, because he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This hope for today is the hope of salvation. This hope of the future is for that salvation or that inheritance that's ready to be revealed to us in a later day. One man said it this way, your hope is as alive as Jesus. We find ourselves hopeless we need more Jesus. Our hope is alive, is as alive as Jesus. So if Jesus is alive and we proclaim Jesus is alive, then we have hope. No matter the situation. If we have Jesus, we have hope. In Colossians, he says, it's Christ in you. The hope of glory. I don't know if you've listened to much by Dennis Jernigan, but um, if you, you haven't, I would direct your attention toward that. Um, he is blessed and anointed in in writing um, songs, um, one of the ways he it, expresses it is, is this way, that I sing to God and God sings back um, to me. But he wrote these words and the song is called Redeemer. You are God and you are king and you are Lord of all. Lion and sacrificial lamb, you died for one and all. I was blind, you helped me see. I was lost, you found Bound by sin's own prison walls, you came and knocked them down. My Redeemer, my Redeemer, by your blood washed me clean. My Redeemer, my Redeemer, rose again and set me free. I was dying. You came loving, paying my sin's cost. You laid down your life for me by bearing my sin's cross. Sin had left me filthy, dirty, you bathed me in your love, wanting me, your very own, bought by your precious blood. What a Savior is my Redeemer, setting hopeless captives free. What a Savior is my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the risen King. You see, the promise of redemption brings hope. Hope for the present, for today, June 3rd, 2018. Hope for the future, tomorrow and the next day and the next day and throughout all eternity. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you that the promise of your redemption brings hope. And so we can proclaim truthfully that we are not without hope, that we are not hopeless. But just like the the writer said, that our hope is as alive as Jesus. And may the living Lord Jesus Christ reign in our lives. That we may feel the comfort of his protection. That we may enjoy the benefit of his provision. That we may walk in the grace that he provides. In the mercy that he offers. In the delight of his favor. With hope that will carry us through the pains and troubles of today. The disappointments and heartaches of tomorrow. And that will lead us safely All the way home. Because there's hope in our Redeemer. There's hope in the name of Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.